So in the church world, and I'm just talking about church world here because for most of you, this probably isn't something you're debating or talking about, but in church world, and not even in this church, but in, in church world, uh, there is some debate surrounding one of the songs we sang, uh, the song Reckless Love. Uh, the debate is about whether God's love can be reckless, all right? And some people, not me, but some other church world people actually have a conversation about these things and about this word. It's not really debate. That's probably not even the right word, but some people, again, in church world would, would say that that's the right word, that there is some concern about using the word reckless when talking about God's love. So I read an article about that, knowing we we're singing this song and knowing that we're going to be talking about God's love this morning. So I read this article and I wanted to share a few quotes from it. So the author of the article says, I searched for the meaning of the word reckless, and I ended up at Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, and the dictionary defines reckless as, quote, marked by a lack of proper caution or careless of consequences and irresponsible. The author then continued and said that I don't think too many Christians would like to say that God is careless or that God's love doesn't care about consequences. Instead, God loves us with clear and thoughtful intention. But then he goes on in the article and points out that the lyrics do not make reference to or make reference to God's love, not to God's identity. So it is in the way that God loves that is reckless, they say, and not God himself that is reckless. See, such a hotly debated topic, huh? <laughs> Yeah, you're all going, wow, what incredible debate, especially in the world that we live in today. This is what we should be debating about. Uh, but Corey Asbury, the writer of the song, had this to say, and the author did reference uh, Corey's uh, comments, and he said this, when I use the phrase, the reckless love of God, I'm not saying that God himself is reckless. I am, however, saying that the way God loves is in many ways quite so. What I mean is this, God is utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his actions with regards to his own safety, comfort, and well-being. God's love isn't crafty or slick. It's not cunning or shrewd. In fact, all things considered, it's quite childlike and might, I even suggest, sometimes downright ridiculous. That God's love bankrupted heaven for you. That God's love doesn't consider himself first. That God's love isn't selfish or self-serving. That God doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself out there. God simply gives himself away on the off chance that one of us might look back at God and offer ourselves in return. Then he goes on to say this, his love, God's love, isn't cautious. No, God's love is a love that sent his own son to die a gruesome death on a cross. And there's no plan B with the love of God. God gives his heart so completely, so preposterously, that if refused, most would consider it irreparably broken. Yet God gives himself away again and again. And the recklessness of God's love is seen most clearly in this, that it gets God hurt over and over. Make no mistake, Corey Asbury goes on, he says, our sin pains God's heart. 
And 70 times 7, he's referencing a scripture verse, 70 times 7 is a lot of times to have your heart broken. Yet God opens up and allows us in every time. That God's love saw you when you hated him. When all logic said they'll reject me, God said, I don't care if it kills me. I'm laying my heart on the line. And so that's Corey Asbury's explanation for the reckless love of God. I like it. Uh, I'm okay with it. We sang that it paid it all. God's love is that God is God's love is kind and overwhelming and never ending and chasing and fighting and that we can't earn it and we don't deserve it. And I think that's a good song. So today we're going to talk about God's love. So we're in the midst of a series uh, called that we're calling Church on Monday, and we're reading through the book of Ephesians. It's a letter that's written by Paul to the first century church that that were. Uh, living in the city of Ephesus. And we began two weeks ago talking about how it's really all about Jesus. Paul tells us in chapter one that everything is centered around Jesus, that Jesus is the agenda. It's always about Jesus and forgiveness from Jesus is free. And we talked about how you and I, the church, bring and fill every nook and cranny of society with Jesus' presence, so that where we live and where we work and where we study, where we, where we even play, that we, the church, the body of Christ, bring Jesus with us into those places, and we are fulfilling God's dream for the world. And then last week, we talked about how you and I, we, together, Paul said, we are God's masterpiece, that God is creating us into God's church, that we together are God's masterpiece, that we are this tapestry woven together by God into this work of art, that these individual strands that represent each of us are woven together into what God would describe as a, as Paul describes as God's masterpiece that fills every corner of the world. And that as the church gathers together, that we believe that God is present with us, that God gathers with us, whether we're here in this space, whether we're in Voorhees uh, representing hope, or whether any other church is gathered worshiping God together, we believe God is present with us and that we gather and we learn how we can be the church. And so last week we talked about that uh, here when we're together, we're helping to answer some questions. Who am I creating? to be, what am I made to do, and where am I to go to do it? That last sentence I know doesn't really flow as well, but I needed to get the go in there, okay? So it's be, do, and go. And together, when we discover our be, do, and go, we are becoming God's masterpiece. Now, I've also been challenging you as we've been going along that if, you're, uh, if, if you want to read along with Ephesians, it's six chapters long. You can read one chapter each day. Uh, and you would get through starting tomorrow, Monday would be chapter one, Tuesday, chapter two. And by Saturday, you'd be through chapter six and you will have read all of Ephesians. And if you've been doing that, I'm going to challenge you to do it again this week. Now, uh, last week when I told you to do it, I said, notice all the plural language throughout that Paul, whenever he uses the word you, it's always plural. It's always the plural you. So he's talking about you all or back. I went to school in Kentucky. So it was y'all. All right, and so uh, so it's whenever it's the plural you, it's always you all, or in New Jersey, it's you guys, right? That's what we would say, right? And so uh, so notice the plural language throughout it. Use guys, sorry, okay. And then also notice 
Now, so as you're reading it this time, if, if you've been reading, you're going, oh, Rick, really, I've got to read I gotta read Ephesians again. This time, I would suggest reading in the message version, all right? You can use your uh, Bible app, find the message version, read it there. And when you're reading this time, not just, don't, not only notice the plural language, notice how many times Paul talks about the mystery of Jesus, that there's this mystery. It's almost in every chapter he references this idea of this mystery, okay? So there you go. That's your challenge, one challenge for the week in your uh, Bible study time. So uh, my kids are all older now. My kids are 23, 20, and uh, 16, I had to tell you up front, whenever I share family stories, I am critiqued at lunch, all right? And they are here right now, and they are listening to every word I say, because I just said family, which means they're going to say, that dad got it all wrong, and that's what they'll do every time. So I want you to know, I'm going to suffer for you guys as I tell this story, all right? Because it's going to happen at lunchtime, all right? Uh, so, so, uh, so my three kids are, are older now. Kelly and I have these three kids together. They're older now, but when they were little... Uh, we uh, we lived in a, a different home. We lived in a split level split level house. You know, split level, right? You go in the front door, and the stairs go up, and the stairs go down, right? Both sides, right? Both ways. And somehow, probably Nathan, my oldest, is how we started it. Is when I would come into the door, and he would be at the top step, and we would do kind of one, two, three, and he would jump, and I would catch him. Right? You do those things. Yeah, well, I'm not going to tell you I dropped them. I caught them, all right? And we would do that, and we would, we would experience. Anybody else have that kind of experience with their kids, or you did it with your parents? You can raise your hand. You just remember doing that kind of thing, right? Yeah. So, so you had those kinds of games, right? Games like that will only work, will only work if, if, uh, if your kids have experienced some kind of a love or, uh, uh, or they know that you love them, right? They learn to trust you, learn to love. They don't really know when that happened. It just kind of happened, right? Because you brought them home and they don't remember that experience. But somewhere along the line, if you've got kids, you know that they learned that, oh, mom and dad are people that I can love, that I can trust, right? And so if, if you didn't have kids, you think back to when you first decided you love your parents. You probably can't remember that, right? You just, you just love. Uh, there's been a number of studies recently uh, that highlight that there's a relationship between parental affection and a child's happiness and success, and we probably would expect that, right? I think we'd all agree that that. Uh, in 2007, there was a study done by Duke University Medical School, and that it, they determined that babies with very affectionate and attentive, attentive mothers grew up to be happier, more resilient, and less anxious adults. The researchers also found this, and this is what I thought was really curious, is they concluded that when children feel loved, that the hormone oxytocin is released in their brains when they feel loved and connected. So there's this physiological response to love. Now, again, I told you my kids are teenagers today. We don't do jumping off the steps anymore. Uh, my son's 23 and bigger than me, and it would hurt if I tried to catch him, and it would look really weird, right? So we don't do that anymore. But, um, but Kelly and I still want to share affection with our kids. We want to demonstrate. We want to talk to them. And so we found now at this age, we have to take them out to eat. <laughs> and when we pay for them to go out to dinner, uh, they'll talk to us and we'll have these great conversations. And we are 
communicating and hearing what's going on in their lives, and we're sharing love. And now I know that when that's happening, the hormone oxytocin is flowing through their brains. But on the other side, sadly, studies have also been done with children who have been mistreated through neglect. Uh, In neglect, as a matter of fact, uh, there was one study done with uh, children in a Romanian orphanage. And they revealed that changes in the brain composition of kids who spent their first years in an institution versus those who were randomly taken and assigned to loving foster care. And the findings add evidence that early childhood experiences can have lasting impacts on the brain, even so much so that child abuse may shrink regions of the brain's hippocampus. So love, or lack of love, determines the physiological makeup of who we are. So love matters. Love matters. And so as we read uh, chapter 3 of Ephesians, we're going to see that Paul would agree with us, that Paul's going to offer up a prayer for the Ephesians, and he's going to let us know that love matters. And so let's talk about that, and let's look at that. So it's in Ephesians chapter 3. It's going to be up on the screen. Uh, It's uh, beginning with verse 14. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it says this. So Paul says, when I, and I'm gonna, as I read, I'm going to stop and pause. And so it's going to, some of you who are type A, you want me to read all the way through. <laughs> it's not going to happen. All right, so, uh, so it says, when I think of all this. Now, whenever you see, when I think of all this, we got to know what's he thinking about. And he lets us know in the earlier verses. When I think of all this, Paul is saying that there's this wisdom and scope of God's plan. In chapter 3, he's going to talk about there's this love of God in Christ Jesus, that God's grace is for all of humanity, Jews and Gentiles, that the grace that connects us to God comes through Jesus Christ. And Paul says, when I think of all that, when I think about the wisdom of God's, uh, God's plan, when I think about the scope of God's plan, when I think of all all of this, when I realize how grand it is, he says, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then he says this, then Christ will make his home in your hearts. And you got to pause there and say, what does that look like? What does it look like for Christ to make his home in your heart? I grew up going to Sunday school, and I kind of know that that's just a, 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 a church phrase, that church lives, uh, that God lives, Jesus lives in your heart. But I also know that for some people, that's got to be like, what does that mean? So how does Jesus do that? What does it look like for Jesus to reside inside my heart or inside my life? And so that's why I love about being part of this community is that we talk about these things and say that this would be part of the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. That when Jesus takes up residence or when Jesus is changing a person's heart or when we are giving our, 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 our reorienting our lives toward Jesus, that we are allowing God to begin to make changes in our lives and who we are. 
And we begin to see things like love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And so Paul says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ Jesus. Though it is too great to understand fully. May you experience. You don't know a parent's love. You experience a parent's love, right? <laughs> we got a podcast going on right now. Awesome. If your kids don't know a parent's love, your kids don't know parents' love. They have it experienced. If I were to ask you, how do you know they, and you can fill in the blank with who the they is. If I were to ask you, how do you know they love you? Oh, we're getting answers right now. Awesome. Thanks, Judy. Yeah, right? Right? You'll share your experience, right? You'll share your experience. And so Paul says, experience the extravagant love of Jesus. He goes on to say that it's wide, that it will cover the breadth of our own experience and reach out to the whole world. That it's wide. You know what I love about that? That means that no matter where I've been, no matter what I've done, no matter what I've thought about God in the past, God's love can overpower all of that. That no matter where I've been, whatever I've done, that God's love is long and that I will experience the length of God's love, that it will reach to the length of my life and into eternity. Paul says that we should experience how high God's love is. It will rise to the heights of our celebrations and how deep is God's love to the depths of discouragement and despair and even death. That God's love is wide and long and high and deep. And we can experience that kind of love. And what I've been discovering, uh, I celebrated my 54th birthday. And earlier there was some conversation during rehearsal about wishing that someone was wishing they were 29 again. And I was thinking back, I don't think I'd want to, I was reflecting on that, I don't think I'd want to be 29 again. As I look at where I am now and my understanding of who God is, there's this maturity that I've found in Christ. And when I would read wide and long and high and love it, or, and, and deep, it wasn't nearly as connected to experience as it is today. And I would say that I've discovered God's love is wider than I ever imagined. And it is longer than I ever thought, and it is higher and deeper than any love that I've ever imagined, more than I ever thought 
or imagine. And so Paul tells us that Jesus' love is total and complete and eternal, and it is all-encompassing, and it reaches every corner of our experience. The darkest corner as well as the brightest corner. No one is outside the love of Christ, and no place is outside of God's reach. So that means no person, no place, no political position, the most fierce atheist, the most extreme terrorist, and my greatest enemy are all within the grace and the love of God. It is wider, longer, higher, and deeper than I can imagine because no one is outside of God's love. But that still leads us back to how do we experience the love of God, the love of Christ? How do we experience this extravagant love? And I, how do you, if I were to ask you, how'd you fall in love with your spouse? I, I, I don't know if you could come up with Four steps. I don't think it works like that. If I were to ask you how you fell in love with your kids, right? For some of us, it's, oh, as soon as you saw them, right? For dads, I think, for, uh, for me, anyway, it was more like, oh boy. <laughs> oh, if I'm ready for this, you know, this is a big deal. All they do is eat and sleep and poop, right? I was like, man, they're not bringing nothing to the table. <laughs> so how do you experience love? I don't think it's a program. I don't think it's a plan. I don't think it's a step. But one thing I think, especially in discovering the love of Christ, is that the verb always follows the adjective. The verb always follows the adjective. Let me explain that. When we experience how loving Jesus is, the adjective, how loving Jesus is. When we experience the loving Jesus, we can't help but start loving Jesus. When we experience this love of Christ that is further and greater and stronger and, and, and <laughs> wider and longer and deeper and higher, when we experience that love, the adjective, the love of Jesus, we can't help but start loving Jesus, the verb. When we are certain of Jesus' love for us, Paul says that it is like the foundation of a building and Christ builds or resides in our home. He says it's like the roots of a tree and they go deep. And we grow stronger and we grow deeper. And as we, our lives begin to marinate in this love of Jesus, this love that is for us and in us, and we discover that this is an extravagant love that is wider and deeper and, wide, uh, and higher and deep. All those things. When it's all those things. When we discover that it includes 
our worst enemy, when we discover it includes the worst of people that we could imagine, when we recognize that God's love includes all of that, that it is sufficient and it is enough for us to be motivated to love God in return. So to express the fullness of Jesus then to others, we must experience the fullness of Jesus ourselves. We must experience this loving Jesus so that we can love Jesus, so that we can express Jesus. And so why is this so important? Why would we spend these uh, 30 minutes talking about this? Because love is the foundation now, last week we talked about uh, uh, be, do, and go, right? Uh, who am I created to be? What am I made to do? Where am I to go to do it? The be, do, and go. And that together we discover those things here in, this, in community and we become God's masterpiece and the church goes out into the world. It's not about being and doing and going so that God will love us. It's not being and doing and going so that Jesus will forgive us. It's the foundation. Jesus, God already loves us. Jesus wants to forgive us. Jesus wants to reside in our hearts so that we can grow into the likeness of, of Christ and we can experience this love that is overwhelming and extravagant. And when we discover that, when we have that foundation, we then can begin to find out the be and the do and the go. And we experience the reckless love of God that has no formula. We just fall in love. It's why we call it falling in love. You just fall. I found that out uh, when I fell in love with Kelly. What I found out was that Kelly was planning it. <laughs> I fell in love. Uh, I don't know when. I just fell in love. I know that it was... They're over 30 years ago when I fell in love. 28 years ago, I confessed it to the world, I guess. But I fell in love. It just happened, right? So one of my favorite quotes, uh, it's going to be up on the screen, from Father Pedro Arube. He said, nothing is more practical than finding God, that is, than falling in love in a quite absolute final way. He's talking about being in love with God. Nothing is more practical than finding God, that is, than falling in love in a quite absolute final way. Then he says this, what you are in love with, what seizes your imagination, will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you will do with your evenings, how you will spend your weekends, what you read, who you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. I would suggest that's the be, do, and go. And then he says, fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything. I think Paul's on to something when he says it's about you and I experiencing the love of Christ. I think too many times for those of us who grew up in church, we learned about the love of Christ and we know a lot of information about the love of Christ, but to experience the love of Christ is 
drastically different for a person's life. And so we fall in love and we stay in love and it will decide everything. And so it's about growing stronger and growing deeper. It's about discovering who Jesus is. It's about allowing Jesus to begin this process in our lives where we grow and become transformed into the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. It's not about being and doing and going so that we can earn credit. It's not being and doing and going so that God will like us more or God will love us more or Jesus will forgive us more. That's our foundation. God already loves us. Jesus demonstrated his complete grace on the cross and complete love for us so that we can be and do and go and be part of this tapestry that is the masterpiece, God's masterpiece, the church, so that we can go out and change the worlds around us. Fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything. Experience the extravagant love of Jesus that reaches every corner, that can reach every corner of the world. Can we stand with you for closing prayer? So let's pray together. And so God, I thank you for the men and women in this room. I thank you, God, for this time that we've had to worship you. And God, I thank you most for Jesus. Thank you, God, that the love that you demonstrated through Christ is higher and wider and deeper and longer than any love we can imagine. And it includes all of us. And that the forgiveness that Christ offered on the cross is for each of us. And to God, I pray that we would know that, that we would even more so experience that, that we would grow to be in love with you. And that we would see you transforming our lives so that we experience love and peace and joy. God, that we learn patience and understanding, wisdom. That we would begin to look like you as you reside in our hearts and our lives. God, that our roots would grow deep, that we would be strong and able to withstand when there's the darker side of life that takes over and that we would experience the love of Christ even in those moments. And God, I pray that as we grow to be God's masterpiece, the church, God, that as we leave here and go out into the spaces and the places that we will reside and work and play. God, that we would bring the love of Jesus with us. That the world would know, that the world would understand that there's a God that loves them like no other. A world that is desperate to know that kind of love. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great day.